Welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. Everyone here is going to die, so at least have the decency to wave as you walk by. We're dropping like flies, every hello and goodbye means something. Skeptical as the next person, but Jesus Christ, I'm looking in your eyes, and right now you are This is no time to be bashful or aloof. Welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. That was Mark Lessero with Everyone Here is Going to Die. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you guys doing? Hey. Hello, my co-podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone here is going to die. Nice way to kick it off. But yeah, well, I see, yeah, someone I think I'd like to co-write with. <laughs> someone has my, has my sentiment Carl exactly. has been accused of being a downer at times. So yeah, but see, but he's, he's right. Yeah, you know, it, honestly, oh, it sounds like a Carl song. Kind of Beatlesque, isn't yeah, it? In place, very uh, Beatlesque. He's a an acquaintance's brother we just met, and uh, he goes, "Yeah, my brother plays music." He goes, "Really? He's good." Go, yeah, tell him to send me some stuff. And so this guy Mark, yeah. I talked to him on the phone. Nice guy. Anyway, they call it Memento Mori, Remember Death. You know, it's kind of been a big thing the last five or ten years. I guess is a little more realistic version of. Seize the day, which was the other 
you know. Carpe uh, diem. I thought that meant carpe diem. I always meant yeah, clean. Yeah, I thought the- carpe diem was seize uh, the day. Sorry, carp, carp, carpe. I thought that always meant diem was clean the, the rug, day, right? clean the rug, clean the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Very bad joke. Hey, uh, Carl, by the way, I, I wanted to mention before we got into this and before I forgot, last week you were talking about your next single would be a... a an eight-track only release. Right. I read yesterday that there is a division of an uh, indie label that has just announced that their releases will be exclusively eight-track. It's called Sacred Eight. They must have heard my our podcast. Yeah, so you might want to just go ahead and send your tape along. That would be great, you know. I, I guess they, they must sell eight-track players too, though. <laughs> What's weird is they made mention of the idea that most – of the new releases on 8-track are basically reconstituted old 8-tracks. I guess they're reloading those 8-tracks with, you know, new tape loop, I guess, is how they're doing it. was the worst format, I remember, because I used to have, like, I had the white album. So sometimes, like, in the middle of a song, it would just switch to the next just track. switch over <laughs> to another. I know. It, it really is. I mean, I I think it's a bit of a, a, a ruse and a bit of a, um, as the people in the UK, a, a bit of taking the piss, you know, because it really wasn't a very good format. And their, all their literature seems to indicate that this is the end all be all. Since I have nothing to talk about, I have nothing I want to say. <laughs> going back to like our favorite thing back in the day. <laughs> I love the uh, the whole process of, of of music back back then, you know, because it wasn't just like it's so easy. Process of acquiring it, at all of it, where you have to yeah. go and find it, and you know, and then once you get it, I used to do that stuff where you that spray on that little thing, and you clean the record, and you put on the thing. Oh and yeah, the yeah, the, the di- what, disc washer. All this process and the it was all kind of fetishized. Nowadays, like all that little nuancey part of it was is gone. You know, yeah, like you it's know, all I, gone. I remember when John Lennon was shot. So the day he died, I go, wow, I got to get the record. So I remember driving around with my friend Gary. We went to like all the stores, all the. I couldn't find the record. It took me like two weeks to get that album wow, because it was so really? sold out. Because as soon as he died, everyone went and got it. You People know, got it. For and, and like you know, I couldn't. I had to reorder it and blah, blah. And then you know, so it's like nowadays, all that's gone. Album cover art was so big. Now well, it's yeah. And I used to love album liner notes you know like like the in the gatefold and then on the back you know that was an art form in and of itself was was writing about the bands or writing about what you were getting ready to hear some of them are really comical but some of them are actually none of that anymore none of that anymore it's all like just stream play oh this sucks next you know (laughs) it's like that's it there's no like you know they're not they're not invested really you know what i'm saying yeah i i I agree i mean i think you know we certainly don't have the tactile experience anymore i remember like i now that you know i'm bringing this up i'm I'm remembering where i me and my friend we this guy's used to go down to his basement and we'd like We'd like be smoking cigarettes and be like, it'd be like three or four of us and, and be girls and stuff. We'd all sit around, you know, little weed, yeah. get some beers. And we play yeah. the new, we play the new Yes album. Remember we played oh. Yes Fragile. I go, wow. Yeah. And we actually, that was, it, that was like a thing. Went it was a played, happening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, absolutely. You know, That's how you partied back then, right? Right. You goes, know, hey man, like I got the new Yes experience. album. Let's check it out. Wow. Let's check it out. Yeah. yeah. Not anymore, man. Now it's like it's become so commonplace that there's nothing special about it. Like there's no no one takes the time to actually appreciate the music and 
how it should be played and, and things like that and how to take care of it. It's just, let's open up our phone and stream it. So what made it great back then? Also the mystery of, of acts like, you know, the Beatles every once every eight months or nine months, you'd see them at Sullivan's show. So whenever you did see them, it was a big deal. Nowadays, everyone's so available and in your face. It's like, you know, who cares? Like I've said, it would be cool like to follow John Lennon now. If he was a star now, would it be on probably not. I'd probably hate him. He'd probably be a pain in the ass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I probably love the fact that he was like elusive and like what you know what the Beatles say, we never heard them talk. And then once yeah, every once in a while I, you saw a little little clip that's him talking, you know, and like but nowadays it's Nowadays, you can literally go to someone's like social profile and just look what they were doing for the last 24 hours and see if it was interesting enough. Because I don't want them to be regular people, man. Yeah, you, you I, don't, the I don't want them tweeting from their back bedroom. I don't want that. So actually, Greg, so I have two things for you this week. One, you and I met last week for a meeting that you know, was really interesting. But I told you that my parents were in town and they dropped me off like I was in high school because they needed my car. And they went to all places in Nashville, Bongo Java, specifically because we talk about it all the time on the podcast. Did you hear about this, Carl? No. So my parents dropped me off wherever we were meeting and they went all the way to Bongo Java in Belmont because they wanted to experience what we'd been talking about and and (laughs) the unofficial sponsor. sponsor. Um, (laughs) And they loved it. They thought it was great. Uh, They they loved the eclecticness of it and they went and walked around Belmont for a little bit. But then on top of that, my parents stayed in until yesterday and um, we were driving down to Chattanooga for the weekend to celebrate my dad's birthday. My mom was listening to the podcast. And she has her headphones on and my daughter's sleeping. We're all just kind of being quiet in the car. And my mom just screams, Bobby Sherman. I love Bobby Sherman. (laughs) You need to tell Greg, Bobby Sherman. I can't, he was on this show and I would, I would be so excited every week to watch it. And like, she scared the bejesus out of us because it just came out of nowhere. And my husband and my father had no idea what she was talking about. And I just start busting out laughing, but apparently there's a Bobby Sherman fan in my mom. So there you go. That's funny. That's hilarious. That was my message that I needed to send to you. As long as we're talking about that, era are you aware that cream magazine is back in publication what but lester bangs is dead so what are they gonna do yeah well i mean they're actually it looks as if they're paying a certain amount of homage to lester bangs but uh you know there's a documentary out there on the formation of cream magazine and now it's back and i risked the five bucks and got the digital version so I got episode zero. Why'd you zero, get the digital? Or, or rather, is there an actual magazine? Yeah, there's an. They, but they're they're getting eighty bucks a year for a physical subscription. I think that's too much. So Did you just uh, buy one. I, I gave them five bucks for copy zero zero one on a digital basis. What, what are they talking about? Uh, it, you know, it could be something. It could be enjoyable. I mean, I think they've got. Smart people writing, and uh, but I think it's definitely slanted towards the boomers. One of the articles was about the Osmonds making this record that was a legit. Oh yeah, Bubblegum Blitzkrieg. There you go. They made this record in what? 1972. 72. It's called uh, Heavy Horses, right? Crazy Horses. But people are saying that it was a legitimate rock and roll record, and you know. 
people were used to Donnie singing, you know, go away little girl and puppy love one bad apple and all that stuff. But that was the bubblegum version. Are we actually, you know, I, I, I quit. I'm quitting. Why are you quitting? Cause we're talking about the Osmonds. Well, before you quit, why don't we talk about something relevant to the artists that we're featuring this week? So why don't we listen to our sponsor for this episode, which is 9420 Crowdfund, and then we'll listen to Mark Lesserow's single called September 30th, 1955. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by 9420 Crowdfund. 9420 Crowdfund, the premier crowdfunding platform for indie music artists. Get the best elements of crowdfunding without all the hassle. To learn more, go to 9420crowdfund.com. Again, that is 9420crowdfund.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
anybody know what September 30th, 1955, what that, what that means, what that date? I am at a loss. No idea. And the song, you didn't get it from the song? No. It just seems like he's talking about a conversation with his friend to me. Like, so. I knew the date anyway, but a couple of things that gave it away in the song is when he mentioned the spider, that's the car that the person drove. Oh. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a poor spider, I think, uh. you know, and, and going to the top down. And then when he goes, James, anyways, it's the day James Dean died in a car accident. Well, that um, makes sense now. You know, you know what's weird about that is that it didn't occur to me because that means that James Dean had been gone. He'd been dead for close to 15 years at the height of psychedelia. You know, I mean, it's like I always think of him as a, a 60s cultural icon. He's basically a 50s cultural icon. Elvis was very influenced by him. James Dean is kind of the first rock star in a weird oh, yeah, way, yeah. you know, because he he basically, you know, and the thing that's odd about him too, if I know a little bit about him, he never knew his fame because he did those three movies. He, he died before before the first one was even released. So he never knew his impact on in any way. So would you say, would you say then, Carl, from our previous conversations and past episodes that James Dean is truly an icon and a legend? I think James Dean, you know, again, this is how I feel too about these things too, though. James Dean, like Marilyn Monroe, they died, you know, you know, in their prime. You know, if James Dean had lived, he might have been doing love boats by the end of his career. You know, <laughs> like, you know, who knows what, where he, where Which he I don't went. happen to think there's anything wrong with that. No, know, but I I'm saying, but, but he's, he's frozen in time years, as but. this hip you know, what he was. Like, Marilyn Monroe is frozen in time, you know? Like, she might have been doing Metamucil commercials now, you know, if she was around. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think I think James Dean definitely is an icon. Yeah, no question about that. You know? Anyway, so, uh, but, I, but I like Mark's stuff, so uh, didn't we yeah, kind of talk to him? That's kind of experimental, uh, but uh, he's obviously a singer. He goes for it, man. I, I, I dig his, I dig his vocals, I like, man. I like the arrangements, too. I mean, they're, they're not, you know, kind of standard in any way. Didn't we speak with him? We did. Mark answered our questions of the week. And so what, what was the first one? So the first question we asked him is to tell us a little bit about himself. Hi, I'm Mark Lessero. I'm a singer, a songwriter, a collector of found sounds and a producer of musical compositions and albums. I also do a little video directing. What else? I'm five foot nine and three quarters. I think I weigh about 175 pounds. I was born in the Bronx. I grew up on Long Island. I lived the last 25 years of my life in Brooklyn. Right now I'm recording this in Midtown Manhattan. So uh, yeah. That's a little snapshot right there. <laughs> I like I like that. He gives us the tale of the tape. It's like he's you giving know. us his match.com like entry. Well, either that or we're getting ready to watch him fight, you know, uh, the middleweight contender for the The first artist we know their height, right? And, yeah, their, weight. and, and, and their, their weight. And their weight. Yep, 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 yep. Well, and I like the fact that we we also know exactly where he recorded the answers to this too. That's probably a first. Now he's he's definitely interesting. Like again, we met his brother, you know, through a, a, something we were doing. He mentioned like you know his, he had a brother, Mark, who was in a 
you know, as a singer, I go, really cool. I, I love to hear what he does. And, and that's how we kind of met. And then he called me and we spoke on the phone. Really nice guy. I really liked him. And uh, what was the next question we asked? The next question we asked is, what music artists have influenced your career so far? What music artists inspire me? Interesting question. I'm going to go all the way back to being in the womb. Apparently, when my mom was pregnant, she used to, on Sunday, every Sunday, walk at the cloisters in the Bronx, in the yard where they would play Gregorian Gregorian chant. And uh, to this day, anytime I hear Gregorian chant, it's like very powerful to me. It somehow transports me into a very safe, womb-like, I guess you could say, place. So that's where it started. And I remember as a kid, Beatles Records, Revolver, the soundtrack to Hair. I think I know all the songs on the soundtrack to Hair. Jumping later to early teens and getting into, I guess you'd call it post-punk, things like The Smiths and U2 and Echo and the Bunnymen and all of those sorts of groups. And then also getting into ambient music, people like Morton Feldman, Brian Eno, people who work with sort of atmospheres, backgrounds. I got interested in making that kind of music as well, but primarily I'm a songwriter. I like the fact that even like pre-birth music was influencing him. Greg, you know everybody. Have you heard of Morton Feldman? No, no, no. Never heard of him. Uh, you know, but I, I have listened to a lot of ambient type. I call it ambient. You know, I, I, I know Eno and stuff, Brian, you know, but yeah, we got to check yeah. out Morton Feldman. But this is the first time anyone has ever said Gregorian chants. And your name is Greg. <laughs> That's right. All those are named I thought he meant Gregorian rants. <laughs> that would, you know, um, that would be you. I, I kind of get. I, I kind of get that actually. I mean, I think that that you know the when I was doing some uh, research for a radio program I did one time on the witching month, and uh, I did a, a four radio production of uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And they talk in there about psalm tunes, which are like these kind of things that are tried and true melodies sung in the churches. And they're, the, they're kind of like the American, the early American version of Gregorian chants. I think when my, you know, when my mom was pregnant with me, mm-hmm. she watched a lot. She watched a lot of I Love Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> Little some honeymoon. So now you have a, a mortal fear of conveyor belts, you know, and bongos. <laughs> well, and if that's true, I mean, Kenzie's going to be a Taylor Swift fan and classical oh, music because I'm pretty sure when Reputation came out for like four months straight, that's all I played in my car. There you go. <laughs> so we have one more question. We did. The last question we asked him is, if you can change one thing in the music industry, what would it be? What would I change about the music industry? Hmm, probably a lot of things. The industry, though, not the music, but the industry, seems to be a lot of focus on immediate gratification as opposed to artist development, which I know was a thing ending around the 90s, this idea of like letting an artist develop you know, maybe the first album isn't a hit or the first single isn't a hit, but a confidence and a faith in, in, in the artist that they're going to develop their craft and build over a period of time as opposed to like, you know, you got to hit it quick or you're a failure or whatever. That's something that pops to mind. What else? Jesus, there's so much music out there, which is which is a good thing. It's great that a lot of people are 
playing music and that people have a lot of access to music, I guess the downside would be maybe too many options. Yeah, everyone on everyone's on my block has put out a CD, you know, that kind of thing in Brooklyn. And maybe maybe we don't need that much music. I agree with him. You know, he's he's right. We're polluted, yeah. and uh, you know. <laughs> There's an awful lot of music out there. Well, and I think, too, what he was talking about with music discovery brought to mind the documentary that Cheryl Crow did recently on Netflix and how her label and her team did have confidence her and her decisions to, you know, keep making new albums and growing the fan base and developing all of those things um, and not necessarily just dropping her because, you know, she didn't want to go on tour right after that first <laughs> first album came out. So I think he's right that there's not a lot of development now. I always, I always make reference to this. This is um, Bruce Springsteen, maybe in 2016, did the opening speech, whatever it is, at the South by Southwest. South by Southwest, yeah. He talked about exactly that. By, by today's standards, he wouldn't be here. By today's standards, you too wouldn't be here. By today's standards, Billy Joel, David Bowie, so many of these acts that we know broke third, fourth, fifth album. No, I, I, I get that. Uh, and I, and I was but Springsteen about that. didn't break until like, you know, basically, you know, even Born to Run, which is now his signature song, didn't really sell a lot of records, you know, that album. He didn't really start right. making money until Born in the USA. Right. You know, so... Billy Joel, too. I think his fourth album, The Stranger, you know, was the one, that, yep. you know, with moving out and just the way you are. But all those songs prior, like Turnstiles, and they, they didn't really break, you know? There used to be this traditional product cycle that all the labels basically, you know, bought into the idea that it took time to physically move product into a distribution channel. I mean, and they, I mean, by rights, they really did. It, it took, time to build a career logistically and they also used to kind of create the scarcity so that it's like you know people could not wait again that goes back to my thesis we talked about but we won't get oh, into it are we going to <laughs> thesis now again but so i, I in do, a world <laughs> i do agree too but I, so bringing the scarcity aspect back to it I think that there needs to be some artist development in there too. Cause if you think about it, like the Dylans and the, the Billy Joels and the things like that, they don't happen anymore. They don't, the artists these days don't have that longevity because of how much instant access they have. They cut you off a bit. The Dylans. How many Dylans are there? There's how one. many Billy Joels? The uh, Billy Joels. The David Bowies. <laughs> you know what uh, I'm talking. I know I there's know, only one. That's one of those stupid sayings that like, you know, like, yeah. that you mean. The Dylans. The, the Bowies. The Bonos. <laughs> <laughs> but artists these days, because of how how much is out there and literally how in a, in a second your career can go away, there's not going to be those types of people anymore. And I think it's because people aren't willing to invest in developing the actual talent that's out there. They just want to feed the machine more. So I, I kind of agree with him that maybe artist development should come back in some capacity. Yeah, but it's like, again, the bottom line, it's not cost effective. Everything is about, right now, it's easier to take and throw some junk against the wall, see what sticks, whatever gets the most streams, that's the one we'll put some money in. They don't care about developing artists, they want to make money. It's all about just making money. My feeling is that there's a, there's only one buyer. This is an odd concept, and I haven't really thought it through, but it seems to me that the way labels do business now, there's one buyer. They're not having to market to the general population. 
They just need to make sure that the, the artists that they've signed are successful on one platform. And if they are successful on that platform, that's going to translate into purchase power for that label because they're going to be getting the money from Spotify. Bottom line, they're not going to be selling uh, 12 inch singles anymore at the, uh, you know, at the, at the, at your local record shop. They're not going to be selling, um, you know, um, merch in the local record shop. They want to be paid for the millions of streams that are garnered off of Spotify. And that's their, that's their sole income stream. So make sure that you listen all the way through because we do have one more single by Mark Lessero called Blows My Mind. But Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 podcast. For everything that we spoke about, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. Is I